This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I'd like to join the others in welcoming everybody here this morning. appreciate that you made the opportunity to be with us. I also really appreciate the prayers on my behalf. It's my prayer that the things that we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word. And that also it will be useful to you and beneficial to you as we continue our Christian walk together. As you can see from the title on the screen, I want to talk about being a contender for the faith this morning. We get that from the book of Jude uh, in the first three verses. If you want to turn over to Jude and beginning in verse 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude is writing to all the saints, which includes you and I today, to earnestly contend for the faith. When you think about that word contend, a lot of times we may hear that like in a fighting arena, a boxing arena, so to speak. You have the champion versus the contender. The contender is going to be the one that's fighting against the champion to try to win the belt. So when we think about that word contend, what it really means is to struggle. It means to wrestle. It means to fight against. So what we're looking for is to fight for the faith is what it's telling us to do. It's also a commandment that Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a commandment that Paul was writing to Timothy, and he's writing to us today as well. It's fight the good fight of faith. So Jude is telling us to earnestly contend for the faith. Paul is telling us to fight the good fight of faith. So what I want to look at for a little while this morning is, for one, why are we to be fighting? That's the first thing we'll look at. The second one is, what or who are we supposed to be fighting against? And then the third one is, we're going to talk about how we actually do this fight. So let's start off a little bit about why we're fighting. If you look back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17, that's going to be where you see the story of David versus Goliath. Now, what was going on at the time is, is you have Goliath, the giant the, of the Philistines. He was going against the Israelite army. Now, the Israelites are God's chosen people. And David goes to check on his brothers. He's sent from his father, Jesse. So he goes to check on his brothers and to take them food. And he sees this Philistine giant, Goliath, that he's defying the armies of the living God, and nobody's going out to do anything about it. So David says, well, I'll go out. I'll go out and fight him. And then, of course, all the people say, well, you can't do it. He's a man of war, and he's been a man of war since his youth, and you're just a, a young boy. You can't go do this. And he, even to the fact that when he says he'll go out and fight, one of his older brothers gets mad at David and says, you're just trying to go do this to put on a show, and you're trying to get all this attention for yourself. And this is David's response. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to go out and fight this Philistine giant? He's defying the armies of the living God. He's going against our God. Is there not a cause to go out and chop his head off? we got to go out and fight this guy. That was David's response was, is there not a cause? Now, we are standing before Goliath today as well. And the Goliath that we're standing for, before is sin. 
we should also have the same attitude that David had is, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for us to take up arms and go out and fight? Go out and be this contender for the faith. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom they, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. There's false prophets. There's been false prophets for thousands of years leading people astray. There's false prophets here today that are leading people down these wrong words. And it says right there in verse 1, they bring upon themselves swift destructions, and many follow their ways. Many people are following their ways to swift destruction. Is there not a cause to go out and fight against these false prophets? Is there not a cause to go help save these lost souls? Going back to Jude, beginning in verse 5, it says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, or set forth an, for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of, of dignities. You can see from these few verses, we would look at these as all bad people. The people who were brought out of the land of Egypt, and then they stopped believing in God. They stopped believing after His ways. The angels who were up there in heaven, who turned after that, and they were cast down into the, the chains of darkness. We talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can see all these things, however it was. Now go down to verse 12. It says, These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees without whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now I want you to think about that, that last phrase, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Obviously he's referring to hell. He's referring to those who are cast out with weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Once people pass into, from this life to the next, if they're in that, that category where they're cast out on the hill, there's no escape. Now, I'm not sure if you know or not, but did you know about 150,000 people across the world die every day? And about 7,500 people in the U.S. alone die every day? Just in the U.S., that's one every 12 seconds. Every 12 seconds, another person passes from this life to the next. And it, by the time this sermon's over, another 175 people will die. They will pass from this life to the next. How many of those never obeyed the gospel? How many of those people do you have in your life that you could go fight for, that you could help save their soul, that are losing opportunities every single day? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to go out and help save these lost souls? You know, some of these 7,500 people dying every day in the U.S., are heading to this eternal darkness and destruction forever. Some, praise God, are heading towards eternal life. 
Some are going down the right road, but there are many, many others who are going down the wrong road. You know, I want you to think for a second. We have a couple exits in this building. We have one over here to my left and one over here to the right. If you see someone, and let's say walking out to the right, that's going into the darkness of blackness forever, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's eternal destruction, where there's, they're on fire forever, their smoke ascendeth up to the heavens forever, and it never ends. If you see someone walking down that path and they're about to go through that door, would you not try to stop them? Would you not try to get them to turn from their ways and go after the other way? Follow after God. Stay true to Him. The truth is there's many, many people in our life that are walking towards that door. They are walking towards the blackness of darkness forever, whether or not they realize it. And it's our job to go fight for them, to go help them, do what we can. So the reason we are fighting is to fight against sin, to earnestly contend for the faith, and ultimately it's to save lost souls. That is the reason we are fighting. Now the second thing I want to look at is who or what are we supposed to be fighting. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want to make it very clear, the battle that we are in is not a physical battle. We are not called as Christians to go out and physically fight. We are called to go out and spiritually fight. There's a key difference. So who or what we're supposed to be battling is right there in verse 11 and 12. Against the wiles of the devil, against uh, the principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness, and against spiritual wickedness. We're supposed to go out in this spiritual fight. One thing we need to make sure is that we're always fighting for ourselves against our adversary, the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. If you were to walk outside and there was a lion physically walking around and you knew that he was, he was hungry, he's going out to get something, you would probably stand guard, wouldn't you? I would sure hope you would. Well, luckily in our area, we don't have lions physically, but there is always a spiritual lion, the devil, he was always watching. He is always looking for ways that he can get you off track. What temptation can he put in your life that's going to steer you off course? So we have to be sober. We have to be vigilant at all times and all ways to make sure that this sin doesn't creep up because he is out there looking for you. Also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. I want you to imagine for a minute that you have two things inside. You have two uh, people inside of you. You have a carnal side and you have a spiritual side, and they are constantly battling against each other. The spiritual side of us, we want to do good. We want to serve God. We want to follow after His commandments. We want to be obedient and pleasing to Him as our Lord and Savior. The carnal side of us, we have fleshly desires. We have things that want to pull us out into the world. We have things that, that want to get us off track. It's always inside of us. It's a constant battle. The flesh against the spirit, always. This is a battle that you're facing internally. This is your own battle to face. It's the things that you would want to do. 
So we have this carnal and spiritual side struggling between us all the time. Going back to Jude in verse 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. When you look at that, look how many times it mentions ungodly just there in verse 15. It's convinced the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and their hard speeches of ungodly sinners have spoken against. These are some of the things that we're fighting against. It's these ungodly deeds that are out in the world. We should be fighting against these ungodly deeds that's within ourselves, and fighting against those for other people around us. The works of the flesh we can see that continually over and over and over mentioned in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5 again back in 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We've already looked a little bit at Galatians just earlier where we talked about the carnal versus the spiritual, this internal battle. This is the carnal. This is the things that we're fighting against, all these works of the flesh. Now, there may be a bunch of things on here that you don't feel like you struggle with, and that's great. But there might just be one or two that you really do struggle with. And all it takes is one or two works of the flesh that can really derail your whole Christianity and your whole walk with Christ. So we're constantly in a battle. We're constantly fighting, putting these things to the side. And we're making sure that these don't creep up in our own lives and, and the lives of those that we loved. James chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which covereth, converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is what we're fighting for. We're fighting to save lost souls, to convert the sinner from the error of his way. And that could be you. Maybe it's your error in your own life, or maybe it's the error in someone else's life. It's to convert the sinner from the error of his way, save a soul from death. We're looking to fight against these sins. Another thing we need to be constantly aware of is the false teachers. We talked a little bit about that already. 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. It's our job as Christians to fight against these. Now, I want to remember this is not a spiritual fight, or it's not a physical fight. It is a spiritual fight. We're not going out and physically fighting these people. We're going out and spiritually fighting them. And we're about to look at how. These false teachers are all among us. They're all around us all the time, leading people astray. Sometimes there's false teachers that don't even really know they're being a false teacher. They have the best of intentions. They, have, they think what they're doing is, is purely right, and they don't really know. Now, there are other times when people know they're being a false teacher. We talked about that earlier where it says, with feigned words, making merchandise of you, mainly telling you whatever they need to tell you so they can get money out of you. All right? There are definitely people that way. 
There are other times when people are being a false teacher and they quite simply don't realize it. And we have an example of that in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Acts chapter 18, and it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews and publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So this man, Apollos at Alexandria, he would have been a great speaker. He would have been one of those that just really captures your attention, really teaches you very, very well. But he didn't know the full scriptures as, as we have it today. One thing that it says in there in verse 25, he only knew the baptism of John. If that's all he knew, it's obvious that that's what he would have taught. When you also look down in Acts chapter 19, right after this, you can see there are certain men that, that Paul came across that they have never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's a kind of apparent when you put the two together, they may have been taught by Apollos, only knowing the baptism of John. All that to say, Apollos was to some extent being a false teacher, not realizing it. So Aquila and Priscilla, they did the right thing. They took him aside, they took him unto them, and they began to expound upon him the word more perfectly. So they went, and you could say that they fought with him, or they argued with him to a certain extent. They disagreed on the scriptures, so they went to go show them what the scriptures actually said. And it began to go very well. After he had learned that, then it said that they wrote to Achaia that they should receive him. And it says right there in 28, For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So now, after he was taught, he began to do a lot better in his work. But it all started there where he, he would have been a false teacher to some extent. So what we need to realize is that when we're fighting against sin, we're fighting against sin in our own life, we're watching out for the devil who's trying to get us off track, we're fighting against false prophets, we're fighting against false teachers, all of this. So I want you to realize that the father wants his children to fight for each other so nobody is taken out of his family. God expects us to fight for each other. That is the, the whole purpose. So we've looked at why we're supposed to fight. We've looked at who and what we're supposed to fight. Now I want to talk a little bit about how do we actually do this? How do we be a contender for the faith? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, the first thing we've got to do is make sure we're prepared. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on your breastplate of righteousness, have your feet shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and that the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When you look at that, the first thing we need to make sure we're doing before we go out and fight is make sure we're prepared. Make sure we have the armor that we need to have. Here's just a visual for you so you can kind of see what this looks like. You have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, or girt about the loins of truth, shield of faith, and the feet with the readiness to spread the word. Now, one thing I want you to notice, 
is everything on there except for the sword is for protection. There's only one thing on there to actually go out and, and be as a weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. But everything else is for, prep, it's for protection. The idea is that we need to protect ourselves from all these fiery darts of sin, from the, the walls of the devil. We need to make sure we're protecting ourselves and we're going out and using the sword of the Spirit to help others protect as well. If you think just a little bit about I want you to ask the question, what is the purpose of having armor? For anything what's the purpose of having armor the purpose is to protect you to go fight it does no good to have armor if you just leave it in the closet it does no good to have armor if you never use it you use it when you go fight and you earnestly contend for the faith so that Ephesians is telling us to have this armor be prepared for battle and then go use it go use it in battle to go fight against these things we talked a little bit earlier about the carnal versus the spiritual warfare that we all have inside of us. The carnal man versus the spiritual man. You know, there's a story that I heard a while back, and it was an old man up in Alaska that he raised dogs, and he raised dogs for the purpose of fighting. You know, some people do that. They'll, they'll have dogs that fight against each other. They'll bet on them and all those things. Well, he raised dogs for the purpose of fighting. He had a, a white dog and a black dog, and he would raise them, and ever so often he would take them to the dog fights, and they would fight against each other, and they would have people bet upon these dogs who they think would win. And I'm not condoning dog fighting. I'm definitely not condoning betting on dog fighting. It's just a story as an illustration. So these people would go, and they would bet on these dogs, and, and after a while this guy finally retired, and, and a reporter came to him, and he said, you know, I noticed you have these dogs, you had a black dog, you had a white dog, they would always come to these fights, and, and sometimes the white dog would win, and sometimes the black dog would win. But invariably, you always seemed to pick the dog that you knew would win. Every dog that you bet on won every single time, whether it was the white dog or the, whether it was the black dog. How do you know which dog was going to win? And the old man just kind of got a little smile on his face and ducked his head a little bit, and he's like, well, it's like I picked the dog that I've been feeding all week. So the dog that he fed all week was the dog that was going to win. The point of that is to relate it back to us. We have a carnal person. We have a spiritual person inside of us constantly fighting. And they're always in battle. The one that is going to win is the one that you're going to feed. Which one are you feeding? Are you feeding your carnal self or are you feeding your spiritual self? And I want you to ask that question continually. How can we make sure we're constantly feeding our spiritual self if we truly want to win this battle in our own lives? That's going to be study, prayer, the people you spend time with, all these things that we know we can do to feed ourselves spiritually, that will win the spiritual battle. Now, if there's things that you're doing to feed your carnal self, that may be the places you're going you shouldn't be going. Maybe the shows you're watching you shouldn't be watching, the music or the books or whatever that you're continually putting in your life, the people you're hanging out with that's feeding the carnal side. If you feed the carnal side more than you feed the spiritual side, you are going to lose. If you feed the spiritual side more, you will win. You have everything you need to to win. The choice is yours. We also need to know that we are fighting for our loved ones, and it takes different approaches for different people. Going back to Jude in verse 22, it says, "...and of some have compassion making a difference." And, and others save with fear, pulling them out of fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, sometimes, like Aquila and Priscilla, when they went to Apollos, they just needed a little gentle correction. 
They just needed to go to him with a little patience and a little love and expound upon him the words of God more perfectly. And sometimes that's what it takes to help save lost souls. Other times we got to get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more direct. And that could be when you see someone not just walking towards that door of eternal destruction, but they're in a flat-out sprint. They're going as fast as they possibly can. Whether they realize it or not, they're going towards that door really, really fast. And sometimes we got to get aggressive. And it says right there, saving with fear. We pull them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Get after it. Go save that person. The whole purpose is to save souls. And we look at that in verse 21, just above it. It says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. Sometimes when we see this, we got we to gotta realize that showing the true love and mercy of God may mean getting pretty aggressive and direct with people if they need it. Sometimes people need to hear what they need to hear, whether they want to or not. Got to get aggressive, get a direct, and save those person now. It's up to us to make sure we discern good and evil and we understand when it's appropriate to use which approach. And how to, how to make sure that it's appropriate to use this approach is you have to seek first to understand, then to be understood. Try to get on their level. See really where they're at. And they'll pretty much tell you what they need. Do they need the gentle, soft, encouraging touch? Or do they need the direct <laughs> approach and save them with fear, pulling out a fire? Jesus really gave us a great example of both of these. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is when Jesus goes out and he sees the multitude, they're, they're wondering, they're lost. They don't have any clear direction. They don't have any guidance. Now, obviously, it says he was moved with compassion. This would be him taking the gentle approach, spending time with them, and he just began to teach them many things. And he did it out of love to show them how they should live. Now we also have an example with Jesus where he was a little bit more direct because the people needed it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, this is Jesus talking here. It says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go therein. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a prudence make a long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold, more of the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. I want you to look at that, the words that Jesus used, and just think in your head for a little bit. You've got Jesus going out, and he's the Lord and Savior of all, and he's going out and he's teaching these people. These are going to be the scribes and Pharisees, and he's calling them hypocrites. He's calling them that they devour widows' houses. He's saying that you're going out and making a proselyte, and you're making him twofold more of the child of hell than yourself. Think about the words that he's using and how direct and aggressive it is. The reason why he did that is because that's what they needed. They weren't coming across as a sheep without shepherd, as we just read about. They were coming across as putting themselves better than others, and they were leading other peoples to destruction. So he had to be a little bit more aggressive. We need to do the same things. There's different approaches for different people, depending upon the situation. It's common for us to hear sometimes that we're not supposed to judge, we're not supposed to rebuke, we're not supposed to correct others. And that we're really just supposed to love everyone. 
I agree with part of that statement. We are supposed to love everyone, but it's how do we love everyone? That's the key. And isn't that really what Jude is telling us in Jude 1.23? When we see in Jude 1.23 that he's going on, that he says, "...of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, even hating the garment of spotlight by flesh." Isn't it all because of the purpose of love? Whatever approach you're doing, if you have to go rebuke someone, if you have to go save them from the error of their way, it's because you love them. It's not any other reason. And Jesus taught us that he did the same thing in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. When the society goes out and tells us not to rebuke someone, in reality what they're telling you is don't go love anyone. If you see someone heading down and they're about to cross that door to eternal destruction and you don't try to stop them, how much do you really love that person? If you see them leading their life astray and they're about to walk out and they're about to completely throw everything they have for eternity. Remember, once you cross over in that path, there's no getting out. If you go and you see these people about to do that, are you going to be willing to stand up and say something, or are you supposed to just accept who they are and what they do? We are called to fight. We are called to earnestly contend for the faith. Be a fighter for God. And go do what you need to do. So we're all in this great battle of faith. And if we don't suit up and be a contender for this faith, then in reality we're working against the faith. Jesus taught us this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. It says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. There's no sitting on the bench on God's team. Everyone is participating. Everyone is active. Everyone is called to go fight for the faith, earnestly contend. Now the beauty is we're not fighting alone. You may have your own internal battles, you may have your own internal struggles, but you're not alone. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ that are fighting with you, and that are fighting for you. When collectively, when we all do that, then we can achieve the good that God wants us to do. It's to earnestly contend for the faith to save lost souls. So maybe there, there may be some of you that are, you feel like you're heading down the wrong road today. And I hope you will decide to pick up the fight for yourself and let others help you. You don't want someone to go out and, and make sure that you're just walking down that road and they're not fighting for you. We want people to fight for us, and it's our turn to fight for others as well. As well. I want to encourage you as we dismiss that just as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it's fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. We're all called to be soldiers of Christ and in His kingdom, and it's to be a contender for the faith. If there's any here this morning that you need someone to fight for you, maybe you have struggles in your life, you have battles that you just need some help and you feel like you can't do it alone, we're all here ready to fight for you. Whatever that takes, we can pray with you, we can study with you, we will fight that sin and we will beat it because we have the tools necessary and we have God that can beat anything. If you need help, we can fight for you. If there's any here that would like to obey our Lord in baptism and wash away your sins, become a new man, we can definitely take care of that as well. We offer the invitation, if there's one of either class, just come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.